Amen. Take your Bibles. Take your Bibles. Turn to the book of Genesis, chapter number 39. Genesis, chapter 39. I made the unique conclusion as we were, uh, as we were sitting up here is that the last time I preached was when we had that big snowstorm. This time when I preach, everyone gets sick. So I'm starting my series for the bubonic plague whenever it comes around. I'll be ready for it. I guarantee you that. Genesis chapter 39, I just want to say a special thank you to Pastor. If you're watching back at home, we certainly miss you. It's never the same when you're not here. Um, and we certainly do love you, miss you. Hope if you all and your family start feeling better soon. Um, and just always I'm very thrilled and always take it very, uh, very soberly whenever Pastor asks me to preach. And he, uh, he mentioned this afternoon that he'd like me to have something ready. He has a message on his heart that he can't wait to get off of it. It's going to be a real blessing to you. Um, so... I can't wait for him to get back to share that with you as well. But God has been working on my heart, this message, for a while. And I hope I can just get it off my heart in the way that God put it on. Because I dare say it's something that every single person under the sound of my voice deals with and struggles with on a daily basis. Whether you're here at Calvary Baptist Church, whether you're watching online, every person struggles with this because I just know the devil a little too well to know that he leaves people alone. He doesn't leave any Christian alone that's doing the work of God. He doesn't leave any Christian alone, period, because he's not satisfied until every Christian is a casualty. But this evening, I want to look at someone who, though he was not a Christian, had a walk with God and had a relationship with God that the devil attacked. Genesis chapter 39, if you're there, I'll invite you to stand with me out of respect for the word of God. Genesis chapter number 39. And we'll read just a few verses. I'll read them aloud from the pulpit. You can read them silently from your seats. We'll start at verse number 7. Genesis 39, starting in verse 7. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wadeth not what is, in me, uh, what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath unto uh, to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. For just a few moments tonight, I'd like to preach this thought, When temptation meets opportunity. When temptation meets opportunity. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so very much for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, for all those that were able to make it out tonight. Lord, our hearts go out to those that want to be here but are providentially hindered uh, with sickness or some other reason. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, use this message. I pray, Lord, that you'd hide me behind the cross of Christ. Lord, I don't want the words of Caleb Casper's act to be known, but I want your word to be known. And I pray, Lord, that you would accomplish all that you have intended for ask it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I think it's no coincidence on a night when we're talking about the devil's attack that we have problems with the sound system. I think it's no coincidence that on a night when we're talking about what the devil doesn't want you to hear, 
that we're having all kinds of problems with live stream and with uh, lapel mics and things like that. I fully anticipated the devil to attack this because I know this is something the devil does not want us to be reminded of tonight. You see, uh, you see, church, we are living in a world that's constantly under attack. If you haven't noticed, our faith is under attack. You don't have to look very far to see someone who's making a mockery out of the Christian faith. You don't have to look very far before you've seen churches that are making a mockery out of the Christian faith. It's on every TV show. The Christian or someone who says they have a faith in God or a love for God is seen to be the, in, the ignorant person or the person you laugh at. Not only is our faith under attack, but can I say in this country our freedom is under attack. Our freedoms that God has instituted through the founding of our country are continually under attack because there are those that do not care for us to have the freedom to worship God as we see fit. We also see that our values are under attack. Anyone who has Christian values seems to be made a mockery of in society today. And every single value that we have that's based upon the word of God is that sooner or later going to be brought under scrutiny. Our homes are under attack. The devil loves attacking the things that God has started. The institution of the home is at the forefront of his attention. Our marriages are under attack. Our families are under attack. Can I say, church, if you're not yet convinced, never has it been more evident that we have an adversary seeking to devour us. The Bible knows what it's talking about. There's an adversary that would like nothing more than to see every Christian sin and walk away from God. We find in this story such an attack on a man of God. By way of introduction, I'd like to make uh, three simple remarks about the devil's attack. Number one, God will not make you do that which is wrong. God will not force you to do something that is clearly wrong in the Bible. You don't have to take my word for it. James 1.13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. It doesn't get much clearer than that. If you're being tempted, can, you can mark it down, put it in your notes. It's not from God. There's another that tempts, and we'll get to him in just a moment. But God is not the one who's tempting you. On to the contrary, God desires you to overcome temptation. I could have gone, instead of Genesis, I could have gone to 1 Corinthians 10, where in verse 13, the Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. Let me repeat that. But God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Aren't you glad that we have a faithful God tonight? Aren't you glad we have a God that makes a way of escape tonight? You don't have to be a, a, a victim to the temptation. You can be a victor over the temptation if you simply trust in God. Oh, I love the fact that we have a God. But statement number one, the simple remark. Number one, God will not make you do that which is wrong. Statement number two, the devil cannot make you do that which is wrong. He doesn't have that kind of power, and he never has. He has power certainly to influence, but let me take you back to the Garden of Eden. He didn't force Eve to eat of the forbidden fruits. He didn't force Cain to kill his brother. He didn't force Jonah to run from God's will. He couldn't make Jesus sin in the wilderness. The devil does not have the power to physically and forcibly make you do that which is wrong. Some people say the common lie in the blame game of the devil made me do it. No, you made you do it. If the devil gets any credit, he probably just woke you up this morning. You took it from there. That's about the way it is. But so often we try to blame the devil, blame everything. Oh, the devil made me do it. He's the bad guy. And not take responsibility for our own decisions. 
But the devil cannot make you do that which is wrong. Notice uh, what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Notice that the devil is as a roaring lion. I don't know if you've ever been to the zoo before. You may have seen a lion. I had the privilege of going to the zoo. Usually when I go to the zoo, the lions are asleep. Isn't that the saddest thing? You go to see all these exotic animals from all over the world, and you go there, and the polar bear is just over there in the corner, not wanting to pay any attention to you. The, the lions are over there doing their own thing. They're sleeping. They're snoozing. And I'm thinking, I want my money back. Come on, y'all. At least, let me at least hear some. Let me hear a roar. And I got to be at a zoo one time where a lion actually let out the loudest roar I have ever heard in my life. I got my money's worth that time. I'll guarantee that. But the roar doesn't hurt you. The roar does not kill its prey. The roar simply intimidates its prey. Did you know that that's the devil's number one tactic? If he can have you intimidated, he knows that he can get you running in the wrong direction. The, the lion out on the Serengeti, when he's going after the wildebeest, he'll out this bellowing roar to start them running and find out which one is the weakest. And once he finds the weakest one, he will target the weakest one. The Bible it says that he is as a roaring lion. His number one job is to frighten, to intimidate you, and to get you going down the wrong path. I said statement number one, that God cannot make you do that which is wrong. He will not make you do that which is wrong. I said statement number two, the devil cannot make you do that which is wrong. Statement number three, the devil can only tempt you to do that which is wrong. James 1.14 says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. The devil's really good at doing something, by the way. If you haven't noticed, there's, a, there's an old saying about the, the chasing, uh, chasing the carrot, the carrot on a stick. And what would happen is someone riding a horse, this is where the saying came from as far as I know, someone riding a horse would take a long stick and would put a string on the end of it. And on the end of that string, they would put a carrot, and they would dangle the carrot out in front of the horse for the horse to see what it could get and try to get there. Unfortunately, the horse is usually dumb enough to realize that he's never going to get the carrot. But he still goes for the carrot, tries to get that carrot with all of his might, not realizing that the carrot is going just about as fast as he is. Go figure. But the thing is, the devil wants you to get the carrots. The devil's dangling that carrot out in front of you, making it look as nice as it possibly can. That's what he did in the garden with Adam and Eve. As a matter of fact, it was a fruit there. And the devil polished it up so nice. God said, there's one tree of the, of the garden that you cannot eat of. That is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat of any other tree, but not that one. If you eat of that tree, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. What did Satan do? Satan gets Eve and she, he pulls her aside and says, hey, look at this tree. You know the one that God told you to stay away from, the one he told you not to eat of? Look at this tree. Look how nice it looks. She said it was a fruit to be desired of, to make one wise. He made it look so good. He made it look like the, the food in the commercials. Or when you walk into a, to a fast food restaurant, you see it just so perfectly up there on the display. And then you order it and you get it in a little box. And it's about a third of the size. And it's all smushed down. Does that bug anyone else beside me? You don't see, you think you're going to get that. You paid for that. And what you get is just a smushed up little thing that's probably been through five people's hands. You don't know what you're getting by the end of it. 
That bugs me. That bugs me. But that's what the devil will do. He'll sell you a false bill of goods and tempt you to do that which is wrong. The devil has been in the apple polishing business for a long time, by the way. We may think at times that we know all the devil's attacks. I've been saved for five years. I know what the devil's going to do. I've been saved for 10 years, for 15 years, and I'm a master of this thing. I know exactly what the devil's going to do. Well, newsflash, the devil's been about this thing for millennia. The devil's been at this thing since the beginning of time. We think in our finite lives that we can outsmart the devil, and the devil's just shaking his head at us, saying, I've been up a little bit longer than you, big boy. He comes alongside us and says, I know a little bit more about the human psychology. I know a little bit more about what has worked, by the way, and what hasn't worked. The devil knows you, and he knows what can get you. As a matter of fact, we know this, the devil doesn't take days off. We like to think when we go on vacation, the devil does as well, but that's not the way it works. We like to think when we have a holiday, the devil takes a holiday. When we, when we get a day off, the devil gets a day off, but the devil does not take a day off. The devil doesn't fight fair. The devil doesn't wait for you to be prepared. The devil doesn't come alongside and say, you know what, they look like they're having a rough day today. I think I'll pass. The devil doesn't fight fair. The devil doesn't take days off. As a matter of fact, if the devil was given a set of rules, he would break them just in spite of himself. And the devil will attack when you're at your weakest point. He'll wait for you to be vulnerable. He'll wait for you to be tired. He'll wait for you to just be at a point where he can get his claws in you and tempt you when you're most susceptible. This is where we find Joseph in the story. Verses 7 through 9 tell us what the temptation looked like. To paraphrase, Potiphar's wife came to him and simply said, lie with me. Joseph's response, to paraphrase, I'm not going to sin against your husband. I'm not going to sin against you. I'm not going to sin against God. But she wasn't content with just doing it one time. The Bible says that day after day, this was a normal occurrence. Joseph saw her coming down the hall and he thought, oh boy, here we go again. He saw her coming around the corner and thought, I know what she's going to say. First three words out of her mouth, I know exactly what they're going to be. Every time he saw her, he thought, here we go again. And the temptation would keep coming and coming and coming. But then verse 11 gives us the second part of the story. Because up till then, it had just been temptation. Which I think we can agree, temptation in and of itself is already an attack. To be tempted is not to sin, obviously, because Jesus was tempted. But it is still an attack, an attempt to get us to do that which is wrong. But temptation without opportunity is relatively easy to avoid. Easy to, to turn down. Easy to say, you know what? I don't think so, not today. But the devil introduces something else in verse 11 called opportunity. The Bible says, and it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business and there was none of the men of the house there within. Joseph was in a position where there was no accountability, there was no one who would know, but the two of them and God. And Joseph had to answer this question. If no one else knows but me and God, is that enough reason to do right? You may be put into a situation where you have to answer the same question. If only you and God know about something that you're about to do, whether it's right or whether it's wrong, is it enough for you to do right? That's a tough question. That's a tough answer. 
But this is where Joseph was placed. We see, we see several remarks, some, some simple remarks. But then we see, number two, the sad realization. I see a sad realization in the story because certain things happen when temptation meets opportunity. I'll give you three. When temptation meets opportunity, number one, it's too late to postpone. I don't know if you know this. Maybe you do. But the devil doesn't often reschedule. The devil doesn't come to you to tempt you and then realize you're having a rough day. Say, you know what? You know what? I was going to come over to Daniel today and tempted to do something, but he looks like he's tired. He looks like he's been working hard all day. He looks like he's been, he's been struggling. You know what, Daniel? Let's just reschedule. Okay, what's your, what's your calendar look like in July? Maybe I can come by July. Maybe after a conference. Maybe after a revival when your faith is strong. Maybe after a missions conference. Maybe after the men's conference. Maybe after something like that. Maybe when you're stronger. Does the devil do that? Not at all. He'll wait until you missed your Bible reading a few days. He'll wait until you missed your prayer life a few days. He'll wait until you're gone from church a few weeks. He'll wait until your faith is getting weaker and weaker and weaker and then say, I got him right where I want him. The devil doesn't reschedule. The devil doesn't postpone. And when, when temptation meets opportunity, it's too late to postpone. As a matter of fact, we talked about Adam and Eve earlier. The devil didn't wait for Adam to come around. The devil didn't wait for a more convenient time. He said, I'm going to be very tactical about this thing. I'm going to be very precise about this thing. I'm going to wait until I have Eve all by myself and get her. I'm not going to wait until she's around Adam. I'm not going to reschedule until God comes around and he can, he can uh, thwart my plans. I'm going to do it when I want to do it and when it's the most convenient. And can I tell you this? The devil's done his research. The devil knows. If we go back to the time of Job, Job chapter 2, we learn a fabulous story about a man by the name of Job, but we also learn a little bit about the devil in Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2, verse 2, uh, God calls many, many people before him. Satan shows up. He is one of them. And in Job 2, 2, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up, and down in it. What's Satan doing? He's just walking around. He's taking notes. He's seeing how you act. He's seeing how you react. He's seeing where you're strong. He's seeing where you're weak. And he's devising his own plan for how to tempt you to make you stumble and fall. He sees. He's, he's a, an expert at this. He's been doing this for a very long time. Unfortunately, when temptation meets opportunity, it's too late to postpone. Number two, when temptation meets opportunity, it's too late to prevent. This is the part of the story where the devil didn't fight fair. See, he knew that Joseph would have business inside the building. He knew that according to Joseph's daily routine, he knew what he had to do, what his schedule was, what his manner of business was, and he knew there would be a time where he had to go inside the building. The devil also knew that there was no one in there at that time. And by the way, Potiphar's wife knew that too. There was a, a very keen scheme going on here where they knew exactly what was happening. Joseph may or may not have known. This may have taken him fully by surprise. However, we know that it was too late to prevent it. Even though Joseph 
was an upright and a godly man. Even he found himself in a place that he could not prevent. I think about Daniel in Babylon. Talk about someone who's thrown into a situation, brother leader, that he could not prevent. He's taken captive outside of his will, away from his parents, away from his family, away from his, his, uh, his church, if you will, at the time, away from his people of faith, into a foreign land with a corrupt king, with an ungodly people, an ungodly government. And he's taken out of his comfort zone, out of his spiritual bubble, if I can say it that way. He's taken away from all of his spiritual protection and he's placed into a place where they're telling him, no, you know what the Bible says is archaic. You know what the Bible says is outdated. God really doesn't know what he means. As a matter of fact, around here, our king, he's the God. So we listen to what he says. And by the way, the king says he wants you to eat of his meat. He wants you to eat his food. And Daniel said, that's not what my God said. My God said, I'm not supposed to be eating that. You're saying I'm supposed to. My God says not to. He was placed into a position that he could not avoid. He could not prevent. And yet he still had to make a decision. Can I say, young people, you may be placed into a position that you have no choice in. You may be placed into a position you cannot prevent. Where the devil's going to come along and he's going to tempt you whether you like it or not. You may not be able to prevent it. Joseph couldn't. Daniel couldn't. And when temptation meets opportunity, it's too late to prevent it. But number three, and this is really what I wanted to get to. When temptation meets opportunity, it's too late to prepare. He didn't have time to go and make up his Bible reading. He didn't have time to get back in his prayer closet. He didn't have time to call his pastor. He didn't have time to text his youth pastor. He didn't have time to go and listen and catch up on last week's message. When temptation met opportunity, it was too late for him to prepare. All the preparation had already been done. If he has done his preparation well, he will pass. If he has not done, he will fall. It's too late to go and prepare. It's too late to go and prepare. Sometimes we think, oh, well, you know what? Whenever the devil tempts me, then I'll get serious about my walk with God. Whenever the devil tempts me and comes to me and starts to destroy my life, that's when I'll get serious. But when the truth is, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that when God wants you to prepare is now. When God wants you to prepare is before the trials, before the temptation, before the devil comes knocking on your door and says, hey, I want you to go and do this thing. He says, no, 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 no. If you're not ready now, you won't be ready then. He didn't have time to prepare. I think about Jesus' preparation when he was up in the wilderness, when he got tempted. For 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible says he was led of the Spirit in the wilderness. And the Bible says in several places, I believe in Luke and also in, in Matthew, that afterwards he was in hunger. The devil saw his hunger and said, that's something I can capitalize on. He's weak. Jesus said, I've been with the Spirit for 40 days. I'm strong. Jesus looked at the temptation. The devil looked at the temptation and said, hey, you're weak here. I can get you. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Thus saith the Lord. He knew exactly what to say. He was strong. Why? Because he had let, been led of the spirits. Maybe Jesus knew what 1 Peter 3.15 says. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you. A reason of the hope that is, within you, that is in you with meekness and fear. Jesus, because he'd been walking in the spirits. Jesus, who'd been led up by the spirits, who'd been spending that time of fasting in fellowship with the Lord, though he'd been depriving himself, was more than ready for the temptation. 
makes you think that the Bible knows what it's talking about. In Galatians 5.16, when the Bible says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So I see the simple remarks. I see the, the situation the situation of, of his temptation, his sad realization. But I see, lastly, a strong resolution. I see a strong resolution because, thankfully, this story has a happy ending. This story has an ending that we can look back on and idolize Joseph. Maybe idolize is the wrong word. We can look back and model our life after him because of the decisions he made. Look over at verse number, verse number 12. The Bible says, and she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. What was his strong resolution? Don't miss this. No. You say, the Christian life is hard, Brother Caleb. Well, it's, it's rather simple. It may not be the easiest thing, but it's simple. There's no compl- complicated formula. There's no computer code. There's no, there's no uh, college degree needed. You just need to learn the simple word, no. His problem was that he was dealing with a woman who wouldn't take no for an answer. He told her no, and she kept coming. He told her no, and she kept coming. So instead of telling her no, he had to say no with his actions. He had to say no with his actions, say, if this is what it's going to come to, I'm willing to leave my coat in your hands. I'm getting out of there. There's nothing you can do to keep me. If God wants me to do this, you want me to do that, I'm going this way every single time. He simply said no. When she wouldn't take no for an answer, he said no with his actions. When I was growing up, when I was a teenager, I went to a church in Pennsylvania. And it was probably about a 35-minute drive which is a lot shorter than some of y'all come. Some of y'all come over an hour to get to church one way. God bless you for that. That is, that is tremendous. When I was going to church, about 35 minutes, and usually we'd come through in a way that would take us right down the street. We had to turn left onto the street that was the church was on, go down about a half mile, and then get to where the church was. If we didn't go that way, we'd have to go about 5-10 minutes around to come in from the other direction. But something started bothering me as I became a teenager. On the same street, probably two or three doors down, there was a detail auto body shop. And they had a huge billboard. A huge billboard on the side of their business with a scantily clad woman there on a bicycle just modeling it for the world to see. And I remember purposing in my heart as a young man I'm not going to drive by that. If anything, I'm going to take that extra 5-10 minutes, go all the way around every single time I come to church, every time I go around. Every time I come and go, no telling how many minutes that little drive added up to over the years I was at that church. But it's something that bugged me. You say, Brother Caleb, that's weird. Brother Caleb, that's strange. That's, that's too much. Just, just keep your blinders on and keep going straight down the road. Don't worry about it. But I saw that for what it was. I saw that for what could be. I saw that for temptation and opportunity. Sometimes you have to say no with your actions. Sometimes it means taking a different way home. 
Sometimes it means going away from a certain activity. Sometimes it means going away from a certain place. Sometimes it means going away from a certain person. Whatever be the case, if you can avoid that temptation and prepare yourself, God says, I am all for it. He simply said no. Though he couldn't postpone it, and he couldn't prevent it, I see he was prepared. So, Billy Caleb, how was he prepared? Well, let's go back to verse 2 and 3. We didn't read those on purpose, but I think this answers all the questions of how he was prepared when it came time for his temptation. The Bible says in verse number 2, And the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man, and he was the house, uh, in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hand. You know what got him through? You know what prepared him for the temptation? He had a walk with God. I'm talking a walk with God. Many of you, if not all of you, know what that means, but that's more than just doing your devotions in the morning. That's more than your, just your prayer closet in the morning. I'm talking 24-7, Joseph realized that he had God right on his shoulder. 24-7, he realized that he had an audience with his creator. That means whenever Potiphar's wife came up to him, he realized he was in the presence of Almighty God. That means that every time that someone came up to him and tried to do uh, evil to him, or tried to get him to do evil, he realized, I can't do this because God's right here. I'm talking he walked with God. The Lord was with him. Do you see that in your Bibles? The Lord was with him. And he realized, how could I do this great wickedness with God right here? Oh, child of God, what it would change in our lives to have have that serious and solid walk with God. One that doesn't clock out at 9 o'clock in the morning and clock back in when church starts. One that doesn't clock out when we're done with our prayer time and clock back in at the next service. One that stays with us from every minute of every hour of every day. A walk with God. You see, if you you keep God in a little box in your mornings, the devil's going to come to you in the afternoon. If you keep God in a little box on Sunday, he's going to be knocking on your door on Monday. If you keep God in the little box and say, this is where, God, you can have this portion of my life, but I'm not going to walk with you, the devil will turn up his attack as soon as you turn your back on him. I'm saying that is the key. I'm saying that is what God wants for us, to walk with him, which is exactly why in Galatians 5.16 it says, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Say, Brother Caleb, I've been fighting with this sin or this lust of the flesh or whatever it is that I'm fighting with, this, this thing I can't quite get over. I'll tell you how you can get over it. Walk in the spirit. I tell you how you get over it. Walk with God. Develop a walk with God that does not give God a clock in, clock out schedule. I can say this, he valued his walk with God over his own personal pleasure. In closing, let me say this. The same devil who went after Joseph now has his sight set on you. He has his sight set on your life, young person. He has his sights yet set on your marriage, husband and wife. He has his sight set on your family, moms and dads. And he will not be satisfied until you have willingly given him given in to his temptation, and sinned against God. But all that can be prevented. All that can be avoided by a man, a woman, a teenager, a boy, or a girl who is willing to safeguard their lives by placing their walk with God 
above anything else in their life. My question is, will that be you tonight? With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. Our Father, we thank you for this example of Joseph. Thank you, Lord, for his example in our lives. I pray, Lord, that we would latch on to what Joseph latched on to and make our walk with you the number one priority in our lives. Oh, what we could see you do. Oh, what we could see you accomplish if only we put you before everything else. With heads bowed and eyes closed, the altar's open. If you do business with God, I encourage you to do that tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, Brother Caleb, I honestly don't know what it's like to walk with God because, to be honest with you, I don't know God. I don't know Him as my personal Savior. I don't know Him that well at all. And Brother Caleb, if I died today, I don't know I'd go to heaven. The Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, can I tell you it's the best decision you'll ever make when you trust to open up your heart, open up your life, and let Him in. Would be anyone here tonight who say, Brother Caleb, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if I died today, I don't know that I'd go to heaven, but I would like to. If that's you. Would you be honest with yourself and honest with God? Just slip up your hands and say, Brother Caleb, that's me. Would you pray for me? I certainly would. Anybody, anywhere. I see that hand. Thank you so much. Anyone else? Brother Caleb, I died today. I don't know for sure I'd go to heaven. That bothers me. I would like to know for sure. I wouldn't play around with this for anything in the world. You can get it settled tonight to know now and forever that you have a home in heaven waiting for you. Lord, we certainly do love you. We ask that you continue to do a work. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us this week going forward to walk in the Spirit. To know what it truly means to have a 24-7 walk with you. To keep you first in our life. And to avoid all the pitfalls the devil has for us. We love you. We ask you to bless the remainder of service. Those that are at home, I pray that you would heal them. Bring them back very quickly. I pray that your will be done. Through the lives that we live. Bring us back to the next appointed time. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Leader, I'll turn it over to you.